What's up, Florida State sports fans? Kurt Weiler here with Carter Carls for another episode of the No Sports Podcast. Um, I'm, I'm a little under the weather this week, I'm not going to lie, but uh, the Florida State athletics world stops for no one, and that's definitely the case for us this week, so we're back with another episode of the uh, No Sports Podcast. It's, uh, I mean, it's that time of year for FSU softball, Carter. We've uh, we, we've done de- given them a decent amount of coverage this week, and uh, rightfully so for a team that just earned their best seed in NCAA tournament like in program history. Yeah, if, if you didn't know now, <laughs> this is a pretty good team. Uh, and uh, really, if you follow this past half of the season, they've been really, really good. They're on a 14-game winning streak. They've beaten eight ranked teams in that stretch. Um, really, ever since they dropped that series against Virginia Tech and North Carolina, uh, they they, they kind of regrouped. I, I was spending time this week kind of talking with the team, and they had mentioned how, you know, after that loss at North Carolina, they had a players-only meeting. It's something they typically do every year, once a year, uh, usually during the low moment of the season. It can be the first weekend. It can be at the World Series, just whenever they're in a slump. And ever since they had that players-only meeting, they've won 14 straight games. They're coming into this uh, regional in Tallahassee as the overwhelming favorite. Uh, so uh, we'll be see. Uh, we'll be cool to see uh, what happens. It'll be my first regional to watch, and uh, yeah, very very high expectations for this group for sure. No, and rightfully so. They do they do a lot of things well. I mean, they have an ace pitcher who can throw with the best of them, Catherine Sandercock. A few other pitchers who they've shown they can rely on. A lineup where I mean, it really is a. You never know who it's going to be, who's the hero, kind of on any on any given night. I mean, when you talk about Mac Leonard in the ACC championship game against Clemson, you talk about Janai Kerr against Florida, you talk about a number of people in the sweep of Clemson and their home sweep of Oklahoma State. I mean, it's just a lineup that can hurt you one through nine, uh, uh, one of the best fielding teams in the country, just really well-rounded. Yeah, and I think this is a team that, handles very high expectations extremely well. I mean, I think a lot of times, especially like last year, you come off a pretty crushing uh, championship series loss, um, and they went and responded by doing what they did in Clearwater, going 52-5, and five, getting the number two seed. But um, that just speaks kind of the, the culture of this program. Uh, Lonnie Almeida talks about it all the time where it's like, you know, this is a program that's a lot bigger than softball. Outside of the sport, they're always doing fun things, zip lining, coffee walks. They went to the White House uh, and a Pirates game before the ACC tournament. They had, uh, you know, lunch or dinner at, at, at Cat Sandercock's house. Um, this is a team that, you know, is not typically cracking under pressure. Uh, they've, they've, they're twenty-one and two, and and games decided by two runs or fewer. Uh, they're, I believe, nineteen and zero on national te- uh, nationally televised games. Uh, they've done really well, uh, you know, sweeping Florida uh, for the first time since two thousand six. I mean, they just keep. This year's been a lot of firsts for a team that has been so good, going thirty and zero in non conference play. You know that that certainly was a huge accomplishment as well. So. Um, they just seem to be uh, coming up with a lot of new records to break and uh, for a program that's been, um, you know, at the top of uh, the sport for, you know, the last uh, several years. 
uh, really impressive that they've just continued to meet and, and exceed those expectations that they have. No doubt. I mean, I remember looking back at the 2018 team, the first team to one win an NCAA championship, and they kind of – it seems like a lot of teams just about every year under Lonnie Alameda kind of – take on a team name that becomes an identity type thing. And that team was kind of the, the cardiac kids because, I mean, Anna Shelnut hit a walk-off homer to win the ACC. They, I think, rallied from losing their first game of their home Super Regional against LSU to advance the World Series. They lost their first game in the World Series and then won six straight games to win the title. They just, when their backs were against the wall, it became, I mean, that was when they were at their best. And it really feels like this program has just taken on that identity. You talked about it. I mean, when when there's pressure, you'll sometimes see teams crumble, and you just don't see this team crumble very often. You look at, I mean, both the semifinal against Duke and the championship game against Clemson last week. They, they are ahead early in both those games, blow the lead, and have to come from behind. And both times they're, they're up to it. I mean, there's just something intangible about the culture that, Lonnie Alameda has has built that's uh, something to behold because I mean just you just I mean you talked about it just it's not a, a program or a team that it really feels smart to ever bet against regardless of the circumstances. And you know I'd ex- I expect Florida State to win all three games this weekend, but it will be a pretty fun regional. I mean they they a lot of interesting teams. Uh, we got the SEC's all-time leader in home runs and Mia Davidson at, at uh, Mississippi State. South Florida has one of the best pitchers in the country, and Georgina Corrick leads the nation in strikeouts, leads the nation in wins, leads the nation in innings pitched, uh, leads the nation in a lot of different categories, uh, and that's someone that Florida State uh, matched up against and, and handled pretty well. I believe it was the 2019 uh, Tallahassee Regional. Uh, so another, you know, in-state team. Obviously, that adds some intrigue. Howard, the four seed, the Florida State's playing. Uh, started the season pretty poorly. Started 10 and 18. Now they finished 21 and four. Uh, you know, I mentioned there's also uh, the the nation's leader in stolen bases is in this uh, in this regional. So there will be some pretty good players and um, pretty fun teams to, to watch in this regional. But, yeah, like I said, I'd expect FSU to go 3-0. and I think you and I were talking the other day. We, we kind of mentioned, you know, weird things have happened before, so you can't ever guarantee something. But um, the, with the, the way this team is playing right now, uh, hard to imagine that they're going to lose two in one weekend from, from what I've seen. Oh, I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, you look at I mean, they haven't lost a non-conference game all season. It's not to say they're incapable of doing so, but I do just struggle to see them. I mean, it's been a while since I've even seen a softball team lose once in a in a home regional. The regionals are normally, I mean, softball parity has come a long way, but I would say it's still not to the point where, where you would expect the number two overall seed to go down in their home regional. What's interesting to me, I mean, when you look at the bracket, it wasn't a surprise that Oklahoma was one. I mean, they only lost twice all year, even if they played a, a softer schedule than FSU. But I think it's a credit to the NCAA, the, the, the committee, I should say, for putting FSU to, for looking at that hard schedule, all the games against ranked teams, and Florida State's record in those games. I mean, obviously, Virginia Tech was the top seed in the ACC. Arkansas won the SEC. Either of them, I think, were also in consideration for two, but it seems like FSU's schedule won out, and I think that's a credit to them. What's interesting to me is... Florida State, obviously, is matched up with, for a potential Super Regional, 
Ugh. Number 15, Missouri. That, I mean, Missouri, obviously, I mean, they made a run to the SEC title game. I think they're kind of a hot team right now. Obviously, a super regional match. We've seen, I mean, I will say, we've seen super regionals at home not go Florida State's way. In 2017, probably the best Florida State team of the bunch lost a home super regional to LSU. 2019, coming off the title, another really good Florida State team that brought back a lot from the national championship, lost to Oklahoma State in a home super regional. But what's interesting is the committee really had a chance to match Florida State up with an in-state opponent. It feels like they like doing that kind of stuff. Florida's there at 14 seed. And UCF's there at 16, but they didn't want to do either of those. They avoided kind of the, maybe some people would say obvious, but I mean, if the seed's right there, (coughs) it feels like that's really a move you should make. (coughs) And I'll start talking, Kirk, because I I can tell you're struggling, man, and and I appreciate you you toughing it out on this podcast. But uh, yeah, I I totally agree, man. Florida State could have been matched up with Florida, could have been matched with UCF, both Two teams that they handled pretty well this season. And and maybe that goes into the equation a little bit. Maybe it's, hey, we don't want to see Florida State <laughs> crush these two teams we've seen before. Maybe if it was a little closer. Maybe if it was, you know, uh, like Florida State and Florida that split. Or if I believe they run ruled uh, UCF or, or beat them pretty handily. Uh, and the Florida games were at least close, close games. The Florida games were very close, no doubt. But um, – I think it might, may have been a little bit more intriguing had it been like a, a trilogy of sorts where it's like they both split and who's going to take the third. But um, I don't know. I, I, it is kind of weird. I, you would think that they, that they would want to um, do something like that. But uh, I, guess, uh, I guess it beats me. Uh, but Florida certainly was hanging around that territory where – they were trying to make a late push to host a super, be a top eight national seed. And that Florida State game uh, late in the season in Tallahassee was one that was really massive for them. It was kind of a game where Florida State loses. It's not a huge deal. Still still going to be a top eight seed. But for Florida, they were, I think, at like 10 or 11 uh, in the rankings at that point. Um, and, and they couldn't get it done. Florida State did extremely well defensively that game, 1-2-1. Uh, I guess that was two weeks ago. So, um, yeah, Florida uh, Florida State knocked them out of that contention and nearly had to play them uh, as a result. So, that yeah, that would have been – Florida even hosted the SEC tournament last week with kind of a chance to, to maybe boost its resume at home and, and couldn't get past Arkansas. Man. Well, I like the idea of uh, – some variety, I guess, but yeah, uh, <laughs> would have been fun to see that. Um, always rooting to see rivalry games in the postseason. We watched Duke, North Carolina in the Final Four, and I mean that was incredible. So give me all the postseason rivalry games uh, we can think of. I, I'm all for it. I mean, and, and no doubt Florida's probably ha- Virginia Tech's also tough for different reasons. Keely Richard on the mound for for the Hokies is no joke. UCF, no doubt, would have loved to have had the 15 and, and gotten to avoid Oklahoma because that's an uh, a, a equally tough task. And, I mean, obviously, the the elephants in the room were all, I think, anxious to see if we'll get a, a Florida State-Oklahoma rematch. It uh, obviously wouldn't be until Oklahoma City, and so both teams have to make it that far. But that's obviously, I mean, I know Florida State players, I know Florida State fans would love another opportunity after kind of how last year ended. Postseason doesn't start till FSU plays OU. 
Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. They, but... they may not be starting <laughs> at all or until the very end. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm joking. Uh, I think it's, you know, uh, it's funny, you know, I've hopped in, this is my first season. I think you can really become a, a victim of your success sometimes and kind of think that championship or bust mentality. But, you know, having been to quite a few softball games this year, no matter what Florida State does this postseason, I mean, unless, you know, they're two and out, a uh, heck of a season for this team to get a number two overall seed, win an ACC championship, win, you know, 52 games. Um, it's – I know it'll probably be easy to look at that OU game, look at that College World Series and say it's a bust if we don't get there. But um, – Hey, play, playing with house money at this point, I mean, it's it's pretty incredible what this, this program's accomplished. No doubt, and I would say to that, I mean, I think you're dead on, and I would say, I mean, last year's run was totally unexpected. Going on the road at LSU for, to win a Super Regional, coming out of the loser's bracket again to come all the way back, winning a bunch of games that really, I mean, beating Alabama twice in in one day was, was crazy. And so, I mean... Yeah. I, I think this team is perfectly capable of making a run. I would venture as far as to say I think they will, at least Oklahoma City in some capacity. But even if this team doesn't make the expected run, I mean, you got the unexpected run last year, you know? It definitely would be shocking if they didn't, though. They've got all the right pieces uh, with them. I mean, we talked about all the big games they've won, all the close games they've won, all the comeback games they've yes. won. They, they've come back... I mean, they have really handled adversity well. They're a pretty veteran team with Sidney Sherrill, Devin Flirty, Catherine Sandercock, Mac Leonard. I mean, um, pretty well-rounded team. Not really any deficiencies. Um, just seems like they've really uh, – all they've shown us this year is that they can go you know, the distance. Uh, it's just the only unfortunate thing for them is – OU might have one of the best softball teams of all time. So, you know, that's why it's kind of hard. Like, okay, if you if you go all the way this year and you lose the OU, you may not have you, – you may not, you know, that's not something to hang your head on with all the other stuff that they've accomplished this year. But, yeah, it's going to be a fun postseason. And uh, certainly I think there's a lot of optimism for where this team can go. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's uh... – it's always fun this time of year over at Jordan Graff Field, over at the uh, the Plex. And I uh, think no no better way to, to help kind of set the scene than uh, cutting here to our interview. We, we recorded yesterday with uh, FSU pitcher Kat Sandercock. She had a lot of great things to say about herself, about the team, about just what makes this program so special. A bunch of great stuff. We'll uh, talk to you on the other side. We are... Very happy to be joined by Florida State softball pitcher Catherine Sandercock as the uh, Seminoles get ready for the Tallahassee Regional to kick off the NCAA tournament this weekend. Catherine, how's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's uh, it's great to have you. I mean, it's a, uh, a fun time of year. It feels like every time this time of year is when like a lot of eyes are just on softball. I guess you've been a part of it so many times now. I guess your excitement for the regional, for the NCAA tournament run, whatever it becomes. Yeah, I'm super excited. I feel like this team is really prepared I feel like we've gone through a lot of trials this season learned a lot about ourselves and I think that we've just come out and realized that you know we're a really good team we're really talented and we really play as a team and it's hard to beat a team so we're really excited to make a run. Kat uh, this is my first 
year covering you guys and something that's kind of stood out right away, I guess, was, was just kind of the family culture and how many things you guys do outside of softball, the coffee walks. I think you guys went zip lining, uh, a lot of different activities. Just wondering uh, how you feel like that helps with the culture and, and what that guys what that does for you guys as a team. Yeah, Coach really um, prides creating this family culture here at Florida State, and it really is a family. Um, we do all kinds of stuff outside of softball. I actually just came from team breakfast this morning. We all got breakfast together. Um, you know, we go, we do sit-downs at Coach's house. Like you said, we go zip lining. We do all kinds of fun stuff together, and it's kind of just that – extra bonding that we get um and I mean it really just brings us closer together and it kind of you know we have a team of about 25 people and so uh spending that kind of like one-on-one time with people maybe not in your class maybe that you're not as close with on the team it just kind of helps to build that chemistry with everybody and I think that that really does translate onto the field and um, one thing that I always think about is kind of like double plays and it's like that, just like that synergy that everybody has together. And I feel like that just comes from being really connected with one another. And we all, uh, definitely grow closer as we do all this fun stuff outside of the game. So you've been around this program for a while now, obviously got here right after the national title, been a part of a, a lot of wins. What about this team has been different? I mean, obviously it's one of the better seasons in NCAA history, or in FSU history, rather, and I think the best seed y'all have ever gotten in the tournament. Yeah, um, it's the best seed I've ever been in my four years here. Um, I would say something about this team that's different, like I already said, we're really talented, we totally play as a team, but I feel like um, just the vibe in the dugout is different than anything I've really ever experienced, and um, we don't really freak out at all when we're down because we've just proven to ourselves how many times we can come from behind and I feel like it's just kind of this almost like calming like I feel like we're very calm we're very in control we know that we can get the job done and I think that we all just have a lot of faith in each other and it's not um, one person in the lineup that we have to depend on it's it can be anybody on any given day and um, it's all just yeah just relying on each other so that kind of just leads to like just a very chill vibe in the dugout. Like even when we're down by a couple of runs, which is crazy because especially now when our season is on the line and, you know, we're down against Duke or Clemson, we, we could have been out of it at any point, but everybody just stayed really mentally in it. And we were able to come back every time, which is really awesome. And just a really cool trait that this team has, I think. Yeah. Kat, you mentioned it. It's also been a different person each time with, you know, I was at the Florida game, Janai hitting that walk-off homer and, you know, we saw what, what Mac did uh, against Clemson. And uh, I think the record for you guys in games decided by two or fewer runs, I think it's 21-2. and two. Um, Then you're, you're 19-0 and 0 on games on national TV. Uh, you mentioned it kind of comes from being calm, being kind of ready, like not being freaked out by those kind of moments. Where do you think that comes from? Like, is that just – you know, we've been there, done that before, and, and that experience makes you calm in those moments, or is it is it something else, a combination of things? Yeah, I think been there, done that is definitely a big part of it. Um, we've been in those really exciting, high-pressure games, and we've um, come out on top a lot of the time, so we just have really great faith in ourselves. But um, one thing that we 
talk about a lot is especially in postseason you know we've just played a whole season and we're all tired and stuff and so it's not really the time that we like rise to the occasion um like we don't rise we fall we sink to our training and we've put in a lot of training and so I think that when the game comes down to the line like comes down to it we don't we're not worried about having to rise to the occasion because we know that we've put in the work and we like trust what we've done to get it done in that moment. So, um, and you know, coach had just said the other day, like if we're sinking to our training, that's a pretty great place to be because we've put in a lot of work and um, we've proven that we're a really great team. So. I remember going back to your freshman year, kind of in that, that was the first year of the Clearwater event pretty early in your career. You got thrown into some really big moments, some, some real challenges. I remember talking to coach about that. Her kind of say like, I need to see, what Cat is made of, how she handles those moments kind of right away. And we've seen that this year with Mac, with Emma, even with Danielle some, although she had a bit more experience. How valuable is that kind of just get, how Coach of Values are kind of throwing people into the fire and seeing what they're made of in those moments? Oh, yeah, it's huge. Um, we've talked a lot about, and I think that that's another great thing about just the family culture at FSU is I didn't just learn that from um, Coach and my teammates, but from pitchers and players that have been in the program past and everybody kind of comes back and talks about their crazy high pressure moments and um we talk about the moments that we succeed but we also talk about the moments that we fail and then what we went into the game and like I certainly have my failure moments where the game came down to it and I didn't get it done and then just how that translated into me being able to succeed in that moment later on when it mattered more um so yeah Clearwater is definitely a great opportunity to play some really high level competition and be kind of just thrown in like that I remember my freshman year in 2019 just kind of being thrown in and I didn't really think about the pressure too much any or anything I was just a freshman and oh my gosh college softball this is so much fun and um I think we hit like a crazy amount of home runs that uh weekend too so it was like Almost like I mean, certainly pressure, but I was like, "Dang, our offense is so good!" Like it doesn't matter how many runs I give up, which is really fun. But um, definitely, just like being in those pressure moments and kind of having those failure moments, all kind of come back around to the moments where you get it done. And um, I think that that's just like the really great things about sports, and definitely speaks to growth as athletes and as people. So. Yeah, I remember talking with you after the Virginia Tech uh, series, and and you were talking about how, you know, hey, losing can be a good thing sometimes. And um, then you guys went to North Carolina, y'all, y'all won two out of three. And I was talking with Sydney and, and Devin uh, before the ACC tournament, and they were talking about how after their after y'all's loss at UNC, I think it had been three losses out of five games. They they got the team together and, and held a players only meeting, and ever since that meeting, you guys are fourteen and zero, haven't lost a game, beaten all these ranked teams. Uh, then I talked to Lonnie. She said that you know you guys usually have one players only meeting per year, and that that can really help you guys kind of come together as a team. And uh, it's different when you hear that voice uh, from a from a player or two. So. Wondering, like, just that meeting, what that did for you guys, what was said, and, and just how it maybe inspired the team. Yeah, I think, I mean, every year we've had at least one uh, players-only meeting where somebody calls it and we're just kind of like, you know, what are we doing? Where are we? And 
let's figure it out from here on out. And I think that every season you kind of hit a lull and you kind of like just kind of fall a little bit. And it's crazy because I think that while we were in the middle of our lull and when we were all feeling it, we were still winning a lot of games, which is a really great place to be. But we were kind of in that lull and we lost that. We dropped that game to UNC and um, we just brought it together. And it was just kind of like, let's just like talk. Let's just like figure out what's going on. And um like I said, we have been winning a lot and winning can kind of just hide some mistakes. Um, and so it was just kind of a time to like, just bring everything to the surface and talk about it. And I know one thing that we talked about was just like energy and being external, um, when we're playing. And, uh, one thing that Mudge said that I think was really great was just, it's a conscious choice all the time of how you're going to act. And, um, you know, coming in and maybe you made an error, maybe you struck out a couple times, maybe you gave up a couple runs. It's a conscious choice of how you walk into the dugout and how you respond to the rest of your team and whether you're going to, you know, put your head down and shuffle your feet throughout the dugout and what that's going to do to the team. Or if you're going to come in and say, you know, it doesn't matter, next pitch, next whatever, and like give a, you know, hard high fives, let's go, let's go, like hype your teammates up. And it's uh, that just kind of like selfless being external for your team and how that's just a conscious choice all the time. And I just think that that was, that definitely stuck with me from that meeting of just um, being external and like, it doesn't matter. Like I said, like it's anybody, it, it could be anybody on any given day of who gets it done for the team. So if it's not you, it doesn't like, you don't have to put that pressure on yourself. Like it has to be me. So just about giving that energy to your teammates and um, yeah, just being where your feet are for every pitch. Uh, I know you you got the opportunity to kind of uh, show your teammates, I guess, your your home where you, where you came from. Was that this season up when it was on the Virginia trip? And I guess, I mean, you kind of came outside the comfort zone, maybe not as far as some people, but from up in Virginia. I guess, how much did it mean getting to take them there, show them the barn, just then kind of see what made Cat Cat? Oh, my gosh. It meant the world to me. I have been wanting to bring the team to my house since I was a freshman here. Um, we've Every year we try to go to at least like one, two, maybe three uh, people's houses as we're on the road and just kind of um, see where people grow up, see all that stuff. But I live right outside Washington, D.C., so everybody got, a, got to experience the city a little bit, which I love. And then everybody got to come to my house for dinner and kind of just like showed them like where I grew up and stuff. And it was really great. I was so nervous to like show everybody my house, but it was so much fun and it really meant a lot to me. And like, everybody was just so excited to be there, excited to see the pitching tunnel and like excited to see the city. And it just meant a lot to me. And again, I think that that speaks to family and just the family culture that we have and um, just everybody coming from really different backgrounds. Um, but you know, we're all here for a reason. We're all kind of um, going after the same goal. So it's cool to see everybody, where everybody grew up, and it was really, really great to share that with everybody. I was so happy that we got to do that. It really did mean a lot to me. I think FSU is .000001 behind the number one team in the country in fielding percentage. It's like that close. It's super, 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 super close. Y'all were number one. Then I think the ACC tournament knocked y'all to two. Um, but obviously that's really impressive to, to be that good uh, fielding-wise. And um, certainly the way you guys' defense is constructed uh, helps with that. And I'm wondering just 
what you've seen from from the infielders and the outfielders this season? Like what's kind of stood out to you and, and impressed you the most about just how the defense has kind of worked around you? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm totally a ground ball pitcher, a pitch-to-contact pitcher, um, which means I rely on my defense a lot. Um, and I think that everybody kind of likes that because we work so hard on defense and stuff. And, um, you know, just getting that opportunity to, you know, get to make those fun plays. So I think that it's, like, really fun. I think that everybody really enjoys defense. But um, another one of our values, one of our values is family, which I've talked about. And another one is smart. And so we don't just, like, you know, we're all really great athletes and we're talented for sure. But I think that we also just play really smart and that comes from a lot of what we do off the field and outside of practice. And that's, um, watching film and studying spray charts and knowing tendencies of hitters, tendencies of pitchers, um, you know, who's going to run, what kind of plays other teams are going to run. And, uh, we're just prepared for all of it. And it's just really exciting when that does show up in games, uh, cause we are super prepared for it, but, I know it just seems like magic sometimes when everybody's in the right spot. And I think it's cool that, like, you know, I think Devin will make these insanely great plays and just totally big leagues on makes them look so easy. And, sh- I, like, you don't even, like, realize how hard that is. But just the work that goes in behind the scenes to be able to make those plays, I think, is why we're such a great fielding team. Um, and then I think also just the ability to kind of flush errors, bad at bats, whatever it is we really try not to bring that into the field because stuff like that's going to happen, but uh, we're good at staying present, I think, and that's really important for playing tight defense. So, You talked about the plays Devin makes. It feels like a lot of people, a lot of in the field especially, kind of make remarkable plays look probably far easier than they are. Is there a play that, like, sticks out in your mind of just, like, a how did, like, was it the play Josie made against Oklahoma State? I remember Kaylee last year in the World Series, Sydney against Oklahoma State in the other game. Just Is, is there a player, too, that really just stands out to you of, like, the how the heck did that happen? Definitely Josie is when she, like, kind of fell forward and caught the one that tipped off my glove. That was so cool. Um I mean, just about every play that Sid makes, she's so good. It's crazy. Um, and then Devin, when she goes to get, like, deep balls behind second base and still makes those great plays, like, those are really, really great. I mean, it's, like, it's all of them. Um, Mudge makes everything look so easy. She gets such great jumps on balls that she ends up just standing right underneath them and catching them. And we always say, like, we big league it because she's so good. She's right there. But, um, you know, in other schools or other players they'd have to be diving for the balls and stuff which is like i mean we have the ability for that athleticism but we just play really smart and we know where it's going to be so we get to make it look a little bit easier which i think is cool um but yeah i mean there are a bunch that stick out in my head i think probably josie's when she's falling and snow cones it that was pretty cool yeah, that Josie play, were you able to, like, see everything that happened? Like, because it kind of, like, happened right behind you. Were you able to see all that? And how do you even respond when something like that happens? Um, yeah, it tipped off my glove. I thought I was going to catch it, but it was kind of one of those, like, weird spinny ones. So it just tipped off my glove. And then I turn around, and it's one of those that almost happens in slow motion. I just see her falling forward and barely catch it. And I think I, like, pointed it. I was like, yes, 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 and, like, started screaming i was so excited and i was like looking around at the umpire i was like you saw that right and never touched the ground so that was fun um yeah and then another one too i think last year at the world series the relay in from danny to sid to anna to throw um someone out at home 
that was so cool. I was so excited. I think I started screaming. I lost my voice during that play. <laughs> this is obviously this is the first season uh, playing in the NIL era, and that's something I know y'all as a team, y'all as players, have all really been fairly fairly heavily involved and able to take advantage of. I know you were crucial in setting up the deal with Madso. I know there's also the deal with FTX, and uh, I know a number of players kind of have shirts. I guess, I mean... What does it mean, kind of, that you're finally able to do that, and how the how the community, the Tallahassee community, really beyond just FSU, has rallied around y'all financially, but also just in terms of support for y'all? Yeah, Matso, like they reached out to me, and they really just wanted to support us and promote us, which was really really awesome. I think that deal is great, and um, a lot of people go to Matso to watch our games, so it's been fun to like promote that. And we all got K time shirts, which is just really great um but yeah just an example of how the community really like loves us and wants to support us but i think nil has been really great just kind of providing the opportunity for us to like capitalize on all the attention that we're getting um like i know that much has taken advantage of it a lot sid has taken advantage of it a lot michaela's done really great with it like i've done a few things here and there but um, it's been really great. People just want to support us and they just appreciate, um, you know, what we're doing out there and all the work that they put in. And um, they're just really proud of us and want to give us that recognition. So it really does mean a lot. It's really great. Kat, last question for me. <clears throat> We've seen uh, Mac Leonard come up in big moments, obviously the ACC championship game and really all season uh, batting, I think, 372. Uh, really good batting numbers. Just what do you think she's added to this team? Uh, what has she given you guys that uh, may have taken you guys to an- another level? Yeah, Mac is just an all-around great player. I think that she showed that she really can do it all. She's been a great first baseman. Um, she's come in and pitched at really crucial moments and really done great. She's obviously gotten it done at the plate, uh, swinging the bat, but she's just, she's an all around, just really great player. She has good instincts for the game. And um, yeah, it's been really fun playing with her this year. Really just, just talented. (laughs) You know, that's all I can really say. She's just really great. And she's really put in the work and um, she's talked a lot just about how great it is being on this team and um, kind of just, you know, where she started and where she is now and just like little things about being at Florida State and she's just seems really happy to be here and just like just happy to give her all to the team every day. So it's been really great playing with her. Yeah, I, I think that's that's all we have for you. Appreciate you so much. So actually, I got one more. I'll, I'll end on this one. We were in the room with y'all um, Sunday night when you found out about the number two overall seed, found out who was coming here for the Tyson Regional. I've got to say, I, the the look on your face when you saw South Florida was coming. I know they have a a, a pretty good pitcher in Georgina Corrick coming. It, it, how much do you embrace? I don't know if you get the obviously who knows if you get the chance to face her, but going up against kind of the best of the best like that. Oh yeah, she's so talented. Her numbers are insane. It's crazy. Um, I, I it's so exciting just to face them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that we usually get USF or UCF coming to our regionals, so we weren't sure like who it was going to be. Um, but yeah, USF coming. I think we're all you know we're ready for the competition. We're ready for Howard coming up, and then we're ready for USF or Mississippi State. But um, 
you know, like we're just excited for softball at this point. You know, it's postseason softball. It's really exciting, but definitely excited to go up against them, excited to go up against Corrick. She's a great pitcher. So I think it'll be, um, you know, just a fun game to watch, just a really great softball game. So Seminoles open the series Friday at 830 uh, against Howard. Who knows how we'll proceed from there to go through Sunday. Should be a fun time over at Joe and Graff Field. Thanks so much, Kat, for taking the time. Thank you. And we're back. Thanks again to uh, Kat Sandercock for taking the time to talk to us. I thought it was a really insightful interview. It, I mean, a lot of people around there are just so well-versed about it. You feel like you learn something every time you talk to somebody within that program. I know, obviously, you, with your defense story, talked to a lot of people this week, Carter. But it's always a, it's always a pleasure with their access. So we, we appreciate Kat and, and that program. Um, let's let's talk some FC baseball here. Obviously, it's uh, the baseball schedule is always about, what, two weeks behind the uh, the softball schedule this time of year, where uh, softball's getting ready to kick off its regional and baseball's kicking off the final uh, weekend of the regular season, and it's a uh, important one for Florida State for a few reasons. Yeah, yeah. The the I'm gonna let you actually break down the standing stuff because the whole math that thing breaks my brain with the whole ACC standings. But basically, from you know what we all know, the simplest way to to put it is. Florida State has a chance to get that top coveted four seed in the ACC tournament if they take care of business this weekend in North Carolina and or get some help from other teams. I think you probably have memorized – you worked on the story, so you probably memorized all the different equations and calculus that goes into this weekend. But uh, what all does Florida State need to do, and what are they in jeopardy of doing if they drop this series? Yeah, I mean, there are ACC implications for sure, and that's a factor at play. I mean, they're coming into the week, so the ideal for ACC teams with how the ACC tournament, which isn't entirely a tournament, stacks up, is you want to be one of the top four seeds because then you're a top seed in a in a pool. And if there were a tiebreaker, if every team was one and one, then you're advancing through the as the tiebreaking team. Right now, Florida State's sixth in the ACC coming into the weekend. They are, I think, a game and a half back of both Notre Dame and Louisville in the Atlantic. Obviously, it's possible if they take care of business this weekend against North Carolina. And if, if Notre Dame is playing Miami, no joke, in Miami, I would say. It's literally, I think it's the Atlantic and Coastal leaders facing off in Coral Gables this weekend. And then Notre Dame is is hosting Virginia, who's another team that's just ahead of Florida State. So there's some chance that kind of collateral damage can be done there. Florida State, with a strong weekend, uh, could be able to take advantage and climb into the top four. I think they're, I mean, if they won the Atlantic, which is on the table, I think they're guaranteed a top two seed. But there are other paths into the top four, and that would be big for, for ACC standings. I would venture to say it's even bigger for NCAA implications. I mean, obviously, yeah. the, the series win the last two weekends, but especially against Miami, was huge. I mean, that that was a big deal for kind of Florida State's resume, something it can point to to say, like, look, we beat another top team. It's probably the best series win, maybe the best team that Florida State's, like, beaten this season, I I would venture to say. And so it was big. But then, I mean, you look at what they did Tuesday at Florida where they just really had that prime opportunity. They had Florida on the ropes early. Their bats went cold down the stretch. They couldn't take advantage, and and Florida walked it off and – kind of denied FSU of that win that would have really boosted its resume. But now coming into the weekend, NCAA-wise, I mean, <coughs> D1 baseball 
has FSU as an NCAA host, I think the 12 seed. Yep. Baseball America does not. It really feels like there's a lot of uncertainty right now. They don't really know. I mean, I don't think committee members are leaking things to them. I think they're just not kind of doing as good a job as they can when making these projections. So, a, a, a series win against UNC and then carrying that into the ACC tournament would be huge for Florida State just from a standpoint of, I mean, kind of putting a bow on the resume. And, and I mean, it's been a while since FSU's hosted. And with how drastic the home road splits have been for Florida State this season, I mean, hosting would be a big deal for them. It, it's been very difficult to try to understand where this team is going to be seated or if they'll host uh, at the end of the season, just because, you know, you mentioned the inconsistency of the rankings, but also Florida state's been a very inconsistent team all season. They've, they've dropped a lot of midweek games and then, you know, they'll turn around and sweep Louisville or, you know, they get swept at home by Notre Dame and then, you know, they look incredible the following weekend. Like it, it, it's been very, hot and cold from this team all season. What I will say, really since the end of last month, they have looked very good. They've been the best version of themselves, I think. So, you know, you've got the sweep of TCU. Uh, Well, you you had the sweep of Louisville. Then you had, you know, dropping uh, two out of three at Clemson. But ever since then, you sweep TCU, you get two out of three out of Boston College, you beat two of, of Jacksonville, two out of three of Miami, and then the loss of, to Florida. But for the most part, they've been probably about the best that they've been. And I think there's sort of an important uh, – I mean, we've at least seen this in, in other uh, other sports. There's kind of an importance put on how a, a, a team ends a season. Uh, and I think the fact that they're playing their best baseball, you'd like to think that they'd get rewarded for that. I think that the – the, the, the maybe the weakness of this team besides the inconsistency is how they play on the road. And I think this weekend is going to be a big test of that. You know, you've got a three game series against North Carolina uh, in Chapel Hill and North Carolina can be a very, very much of a resume boosting win for this team. They're number 22 in RPI. Florida state is at number 21 in RPI uh, and if Florida State uh, can can take at least two out of three, I think that could go a long way. And then, obviously, I think the ACC tournament uh, could be could be big too. You know, you don't want to see them lose two straight games and you know be out of the picture. If they can make it to that that final stage, advance out of pool play, I think that will do uh, a great deal. But the biggest thing is you, you never want to leave it up to guess. You never want to leave it up to like, oh, will the committee do it or not? Like, just go ahead and win, okay? Like, go ahead and sweep North Carolina. Go ahead and win the AC tournament. Like, if if you're if there is a question in mind, but um, I do think it's close, and I do think um, there there are a lot of different possibilities for how it could play out. I think they've got to at least win two out of three at North Carolina uh, if they want to host. But that that's kind of what I think. I tend to agree, especially because it feels like there are, there are a lot of years. The NCAA has a lot of things kind of set, some not maybe not set in stone, but pretty well set going into a like conference tournament week, and is is hesitant to make kind of too many sweeping changes there. It feels like sometimes a team will have a great conference championship week and it won't really help their resume too much. 
Um, I mean, it won't be easy against North Carolina. When you look at them, I mean, they're 26-6 and six at home this year, kind of similar to Florida State in that they've really dominated at home and, and struggled some on the road. But they're not – I mean, they're not invulnerable. They dropped home series to Virginia Tech, who's about to be a national seed, is having a really good year, and Georgia Tech, who's kind of a, a Florida State-esque team where I think they can be really scary when they're at their – best with their bats they're kind of i guess they're similar to florida state in in that regard but their strength is their offense that's where florida states is their pitching so it, it, i don't know i mean they're i don't know what to make of it it's it's the opportunity is definitely there i think it's a scary north carolina lineup and i mean like we said about just about everybody this year it's a pitching staff that not only does it not match up to florida states but i would say florida state has a pretty significant advantage the expectation, I believe, is that Carson Montgomery starts Thursday, Parker Messick Friday, and uh, on Saturday it will be Bryce Hubbard. So um, yes. changing up a little bit so you can have the consistency of the days, you know, Parker going on, on Friday and Bryce going on, go on Saturday. But, um, yeah, I think uh, be a big big one for Carson Montgomery to get him started. If you, if you win that first game, then – you know, it's you're in a good good position. You got Parker and Bryce left, and I just really like how um, it didn't really show against Florida, but I like how the pitching has shown up recently. Parker's Parker; he's always going to do great. Bryce Hubbard had a stretch there where really, really struggling, but I think he's kind of gotten his act together lately. Uh, had a really good performance uh, against Boston College, um, and. Then I think Wyatt Crowell and Ross Dunn uh, certainly have uh, done pretty well lately as well out of the bullpen. So I kind of like the options that are that are coming out of that um, bullpen right now uh, a lot more at least uh, compared to a couple months ago where you don't know what's going on with Ross Dunn. You don't know what the future holds for Carson Montgomery, if he's going to be that midweek, midweek guy or the weekend starter. Don't know what's going to go on with uh, Bryce Hubbard. Feel like things are starting to come together a little bit, and uh, you know when your pitching's good, when you got a guy like Parker Messick, uh, you can do some serious damage in the postseason. But again, like I said, that that inconsistency of this team, it always kind of lurks. Yeah. So I, you never I, know. I, th- I think my thing is, I, I like this team more in a super regional, a best of three series, than I do. A regional because I think I have questions about the depth of the pitching staff, especially if they were to lose one of the first two games and have to come out of a losers losers bracket and play what that'd be five games to make it out of a regional. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, so if they can get that regional at home, if they can finish strong and do that, even if they have to go on the road for a super, I'm not saying I'll outright pick them, but I like their odds a lot more. Like I said, in a best of three series where you feel good about winning at least one of the Parker Messick or Bryce Hubbard games. If, I mean, I, I was remarking, I mean, talking to this a little about Mike Martin Jr. Uh, after after the Miami series or after the doubleheader against Miami. It seems like those two are never both bad on the same day. Parker wasn't at his best against Florida, and then Bryce went out and shoved, you know? And it, it feels like they may, they both not be might not be lights out back-to-back, but you're going to at least a great start or at least a good start from one of them. And so you like your odds, but... You got to get out the regional first, and it will be a lot easier if that is uh, at home. I do agree with you about the super regional. Only thing I'll say is it's hard to imagine if they're hosting that they're going to lose that first game to a four seed with Parker Messick. 
So I think at the, the worst case scenario to me would be they lose that second game, then they've got to play three more. But, I, I mean, I guess... Here's what I'll say. I, a, I have seen Florida State lose that game with great pitchers on the mound. B, we've seen this year games where Parker deals and they can't get a run across. Remember Notre Dame? Yeah, you're not wrong. Where they, they just can't score. And, and so... You're, I tend to agree with you, but I, I've seen too many weird things happen in the postseason at Hazard to fully to fully say that I, I don't think it's possible. I don't tempt fate like that, Carter. <laughs> oh, man. Well, are, we, are we moving on to Team Chaos? We are moving on to Team Chaos. That, that's got to be a segment now here. Anytime there's is some chaos. Is that <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> oh, man. Well... Yeah, I was sitting there writing my softball story. I've done a lot of work on it all week. Uh, probably interviewed about what, what six or seven people involved with the team, and really trying to pour. It's really good. Really trying to pour my heart. Oh, thank you. I'm really trying to pour my heart and soul into it. Well, and then Nick Saban comes out, and Jimbo Fisher come out, and they have a little pillow fight together, and uh, very public, very. Uh, contentious, uh, very chaotic, as you said, and man, it was it was fun to watch, but it was also hard to be focused on my softball story. So shame on them for detracting my focus. I mean, it wasn't a Florida State story, but damn if it wasn't extremely tied up in just like a bunch of Florida State things. I mean, we talk about the two guys Nick Saban called out, and I want to say. He called them out at a like what was it? It was like a, a like event, a speaking event for the Birmingham World Games. <laughs> it's like weird that, that that this all came out of that. Yeah. But Nick Saban called out Jimbo Fisher in Texas A and M, and Deion Sanders, a former Florida coach, Florida State coach who won a national title here, and one of the best players in FSU football history. And my coach of Jackson. State. And Miami. And Miami. It's like all the three people that Florida State fans think about and talk about Jimbo Fisher Jack like the Travis Hunter and Deion Sanders in Miami it, yeah that's I mean, what was so funny about it it was it was like I think Zach Blostein at 247 was like man I think Nick Saban's been hanging out on the on the Florida State message boards <laughs> oh man I mean it's It's a weird situation all around. The whole Nick, Nick Saban side of things is weird because, I mean, he has been bragging about, like, from, from last day, you remember last year at SC Media Days when he was bragging about Bryce Young's huge million-dollar NIL deal. Yeah. And then he, he has been on the forefront of, like, oh, wow, talking about how much, oh, look, my players got this much money for a deal. But because his booster base may not have oil money in it, it's a huge problem for him, and it puts him at a disadvantage. And I mean, uh, Jimbo can rightfully be pointed out why some of the stuff he said today was incorrect. But I don't. I mean, I don't think he's wrong in calling Nick Saban a narcissist. I don't think he's wrong in saying that this is really motivated by him feeling threatened by the state of things in college athletics. And I mean, it's been a problem for a while, but Nick Saban only cares. And I think he realizes the scope of it now and how it could affect him in his last few years. It made for a really fun uh, – what's today? Thursday? Made for a really fun Thursday. Uh, but, yeah, I think um, 
there's certainly a lot of nuance to it. The, the backstory, obviously, being the the message board rumor that uh, A&M basically spent $30 million on their 2022 recruiting class, which uh, Nick Saban ran with a little bit, uh, Lane Kiffin ran with. And uh, I think it, there's like kind of two sides to it because I think Jimbo's in his right to be angry when – People are accusing him of a, cra- a rumor as crazy as that. Thirty million. I mean, that's just there. Even if it is true, like, I mean, it just it hasn't been proven. Number one, and even if it was true, like, if it was legal, why why does it why is that like any different than what other people are doing? Tennessee spent eight million on a quarterback. Um, we're seeing what's happening with Jordan Addison. I mean, other people are doing this too. But aside from that, um, I think the the obvious sort of uh, mistake Jimbo made was claiming that NIL had nothing to do with his 2022 recruiting class. And that I don't think anyone really believes that. Um, but I think coming out of that, there is still a lot of sort of uh, sensitivity around the topic. So I think Nick Saban may not have even realized what he did. I think it was kind of like, you know, Jimbo Fisher was very sensitive about this topic. Like, he's already had to deal with this. It's constantly being brought up. Every press conference, someone's asking about it. And then Nick Saban just casually is like, oh, yeah, they're paying players. They, they bought their class. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if he realized it. And No, I don't know if he knew, like, <laughs> how many cameras were on him. That media was there. That it was going to become a big thing. It almost feels like yeah. maybe he thought he was talking at like a, a booster type event where it wasn't going to get out. You know. But, but yeah. Also, even even with that being the case, the one thing I'll say there there's sort of this like unwritten code where you never publicly like single out a team, a player, uh, and if you do, you better have proof. You better say. Oh, this happened, you know, oh, SMU got the death penalty. Like we all know that happened. Right. But if you're just saying it like, uh, the, the Travis Hunter thing, we never, I mean, there were rumors and stuff, but we never saw in writing that or, or, or being reported, I guess, by a, a very valid place that he was paid, you know, millions in NIL money. I mean, probably maybe happened. I don't know, but you don't just say things um, out of the side of your mouth, but um, anyways, it, <laughs> it's going to be funny. You say there's, it was an unwritten code where you don't – I mean, I think it's a written code. Because written. Didn't both of them get reprimands from the SEC today about basically about talking bad about another <laughs> another another team? Yeah, public – I mean, not that that means anything. <laughs> you know, like even if they got fined like $10,000, that's a drop in the bucket for both of them. But <laughs> – yeah, I mean it's 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 crazy. I mean it, it, we don't see this often, and, and I mean there are definitely probably events in the past of college basketball or college football rather, where if there was Twitter, we would have had crazier moments, and, yeah. and people may have been more more willing to to say who knows what. But I mean, we, this isn't something you see often. I mean, you're right. The bottom line is, Jimbo. I don't. Nick Saban knows Jimbo is a good recruiter. And I don't think he said he's not a good recruiter and that it was only about money. But Jimbo trying to make the argument that it was not remotely – like both of those things can be true. Jimbo's proven right. before NIL. 
he was a great recruiter. He wasn't coming through up the ranks as a coordinator. He was at Florida State. He has been A&M. But at the same time, I will also say, I mean, you look at the number of, of five stars in this class relative to the last couple. Yes, even if A&M had a better season, even if they beat Bama, that doesn't happen solely because you're a great recruiter. And it's it, it, it is asking you to to believe something pretty unbelievable if you if he wants you to think that. I mean, I think anyone having a class like that is like For something sure. that you catches your attention. I mean, it's the greatest recruiting class of all time. You got what seven five star D linemen. I mean, that's just like freaking ridiculous. But um, yeah, I think um, it, it's. <laughs> I can't wait for October 8th. That's all I'll say. That, that's when they play. Uh, I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, I don't know if, <laughs> like, it, 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 he kind of just mentioned this, but it was cool that he mentioned Bobby Bowden um, in his remarks. Um, I don't know if he even really gave it thought. He just sort of said it. But he's talking about, like, you know, Bobby Bowden is like, that's a coach where you learn things from. But Nick Saban's not a coach you learn things from. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's why I've never coached with him again. And all of his former coaches, they have all these stories and stuff. But but lost in all that, you know, being a Florida State reporter, I was like, oh, cool. Bobby Bowden shout out. So um, I guess that I don't know how Florida State cool. fans felt about that one because it, it – my the thing is I think they Florida State fans are always going to be a little bitter about how things ended with Jimbo and the, the – yeah what you heard from recruits about how he just kind of stopped recruiting at a certain point and stopped doing his job and it seemed clear he was going to move on somewhere. It was just a matter of where. And A&M, obviously, I know the reported reached out to him early in the season. So I think Florida State fans kind of objected to that, even though I think they, they appreciated it for, like, the team chaos side of things. But I think they objected from the standpoint of, like, no, you don't get to, like, talk about us again now. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's so funny how it involved everything that Florida State fans cared about. And that's why we're talking about it now. And we saw what Dion said, too. He's, he said he's going to come up with some response. I don't know if he will. He still hasn't yet. He tweeted that at, like, midnight last night. And he, he kind of made, like, a quick aside and said, like, oh, I don't even make a million a year. How could Travis Hunter make a million? So, well, yeah. didn't, didn't Travis Hunter say, wait, if I – if I think he tweeted today some defect of like if they if I got a million dollar deal why is my mom still living in a three bedroom house with five kids? Yeah, exactly. Somebody's lying. I don't know who, but um... the, the truth <laughs> is probably somewhere in the middle, right? Yeah, that's my thing. Yeah, and like it's 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 who knows? I mean, I, I, I'm fascinated to see. It's funny. It's the ACC meetings already happened, and we should, we'll talk about some of the stuff with that uh, next week for sure. But SEC meetings still haven't happened yet. I think they're coming up here shortly. So a couple uh, weeks, I think. Should be a fascinating time over in Destin where they uh, where they do those. Yeah, we might have to go over there and just uh, see if there's any uh, brawls outside of the uh, <laughs> outside of the facility. Oh man, that that. At the very least, there'll be one with that guy, the Alabama guy who has the ring hat, hat right? <laughs> the ring hat. I I don't know what you're talking about. You know the guy I'm talking about who always goes to uh, <coughs> media days with a ring on his head. He has oh. like a giant ring that he wears. It's like, a, yeah. Yes. Okay. I know who you're talking about now. This oh, my guy. gosh. <laughs> 
Yeah, that guy's going to be involved. Looks like a peak Alabama fan. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> SEC, man. I'm telling you, never seen a press conference like that. You always think, like, what are the best ones? I'm a man. Yeah. I'm 40. Um, yeah. You know, what was it? We are who we thought they were or whatever it was. That, that one was a really good one. Uh, the Cardinals coach from from a while back. Um, there there have been a few. I'm 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 trying to rack up my brain, remember some, but that was an all timer for sure that people will be talking about for a while, and we'll see what comes out of this. I mean, I Nick Saban went on the radio and kind of apologized back and backed off, and I think he just kind of wants this to be done with. Um, but uh, we'll we'll see. I guess what happens. Are you saying it just means more drama? <laughs> just means more chaos. That's what it is. Man. Wild times. Um, yeah, we'll be back. We probably should talk about some of the uh, uncertainty right now about the uh, what things could look like in the ACC in a few years with, with divisions maybe going away. Obviously, the NCAA cleared the path for that. We'll, obviously, we'll be back with some more uh, softball and baseball uh stuff as well we we appreciate you for listening for uh for following along for being subscribers to the podcast to following us on twitter to subscribing to the Tallahassee democrat any of it is uh is greatly appreciated um we will uh for for carter i'm kurt